listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season. LutheranPublicRadio.org. The new teachings about marriage and human sexuality are an assault on creation itself. God made man in his own image, male and female, he created them. It is an assault on that created reality. Think of sin like a cancer on God's creation. It corrupts and distorts and destroys. God didn't create it. Adam's disobedience brought sin into the world. Are we looking forward to the day when our flesh and all the sinful desires of the flesh will finally be gone? Well, we have to always be longing for that day when when the flesh will be put off and we'll be totally made new. Literally, folks, Advent is where we find ourselves in this age. We are a people waiting for the end, waiting for the appearing of our King. Families putting up their manger scenes from the outdoor nativity store. Love, issues, etc. The conventional wisdom says that post Dobbs, with the fall of Roe v. Wade, pro lifers are suffering one series of setbacks after another, at least politically. But is that true? Do the actual numbers bear that up? There certainly have been some setbacks, but there also have been some rather amazing successes. We have data from the exit polls from Ohio and Virginia. There's a CDC update on U.S. abortion numbers for 2021 and a German report on the birth rates post-Dobbs. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. live on this Friday afternoon, December the 1st. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Dr. Michael New of the Charlotte Lozier Institute will join us for a pro-life update. We'll go through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. Then it's This Week in Pop Christianity, Nicole Crank's sermon, Seven Keys to Bigger Success. Pastor Chris Rosebro of Fighting for the Faith will be our guest. Dr. Michael New is visiting assistant professor of social research and political science at the Catholic University of America, senior associate scholar at the Charlotte Lozier Institute, Paige Comstock Cunningham Fellow for Americans United for Life, and a columnist for National Review Online. Dr. New, welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about Ohio's issue one. Refresh our memory on that particular proposal. Sure. Issue one was voted on by Ohio voters earlier in November. And what it did was it placed legal abortion directly in the state constitution. It was a ballot proposition to amend the state constitution to put provisions in that would place abortion rights in the state constitution. Unfortunately, it's pretty radical. Essentially, not only very likely is going to legalize abortion throughout all nine months of pregnancy, it certainly jeopardizes Ohio's pro-life parental vomit law. It jeopardizes the waiting period law in Ohio. It may require taxpayers in Ohio to start paying for elective abortions through the state Medicaid program. So its passage was, frankly, a real setback and a real defeat for pro-lifers. What insights did we gain from a CNN exit poll in Ohio after that vote? Yeah, the results of the exit poll were interesting. 
Pro-lifers did a good job communicating with like-minded people. There is very strong opposition to issue one among Republicans, among conservatives, and among pro-lifers. So we communicated with uh, sympathetic people well. So that was a, a good insight. We did not really do all that well amongst moderates and independents. Majorities of moderates, majorities of independents actually voted for issue one. So that was, I think, a pretty important insight there. Why do you think pro-lifers failed to reach swing voters? Yeah, that's a very good and a very important question. I don't think that swing voters are really enamored with what the other side's offering. I don't think swing voters want to pay for abortions with the taxpayer dollars. I think they support waiting periods and parental involvement laws and other kinds of incremental pro-life laws. But I think a lot of swing voters are scared. They see these stories on the news about pregnant women who can't get appropriate medical care because of pro-life laws, and they don't want their sister, their daughter, their mother, their niece to not get the health care that she needs. Now, I think that good pro-life laws, because with good public health, pro-lifers certainly want to make sure that pregnant women do get the health they need. I think the media has, I think, misrepresented a lot of these stories, but I think there's been a lot of fear-mongering, and I think that's kind of why a lot of these swing voters voted in favor of issue one. What do we learn from the fact that women with children were less likely to oppose issue one in Ohio? Yeah, the results about parents and how they voted were interesting. Opponents of issue one really invested quite a lot of effort and energy into making the case that issue one would undermine parental rights. They said and argued, I think reasonably, that it would jeopardize Ohio's pro-life parental involvement law. We've seen other states where pro-life parental involvement laws have been struck down. These are states whose constitutions offer far less protection for abortion than what was being proposed in Ohio. So we made parental rights a strong argument or a big argument. People didn't seem receptive, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. First, teen pregnancies have gone down a lot. Teen pregnancies have fallen like 70, 75% since the early 90s. So I don't think parents today are quite as concerned about teen pregnancies or teen abortions the way parents might have been in the 70s, 80s, or 1990s. So even though pro law laws pull well, it just didn't seem to motivate people. Uh, I personally thought we should have placed much more emphasis on the fact that this issue one might require Ohio taxpayers to pay for elective abortions. I think the taxpayer funding issue was a stronger argument, in my opinion, than parental rights. What did we learn from the elections in Virginia? Yeah, very quietly, pro-lifers and Republicans did better in Virginia than a lot of people are giving pro-lifers credit for. That Virginia did have state legislative elections in 2023. Most states did not, but Virginia does have these off-year elections. And Virginia's become a tough state for Republicans lately. President Biden carried Virginia by 10 points. So it's a state that's trending more and more Democrat. But even a state that's trending more and more Democrat, if you look at how the votes broke down for state legislative races, Republicans got more than 49% of the vote in both the lower house and the upper house state legislative races. So very close to majority. And if you look at those lower house races that were contested, where both a Republican and a Democrat fielded candidates, Republicans actually got a majority of votes in those races. So either Republicans didn't necessarily get control of the state legislature in Virginia. They did run strong campaigns. They did trade punches with Democrats on fairly equal terms. And they didn't run away from abortion. Governor Glenn Youngkin really campaigned on a 15-week limit. He wanted to protect pre-born children after 15 weeks gestation. Most Republicans were on board. They really tried to emphasize the extremism of Democrats on this issue. And they did well in a state that is 
trending Democrat. So I think Virginia may well be a roadmap for pro-lifers in the future. Tell us about a recent study published by the Institute of Labor Statistics in Germany. Recently, the Institute for Labor Statistics did some research on birth rates. They kind of looked at the group of 14 states that were enforcing kind of strong pro-life laws after the Dobbs decision, and they compared them to birth rates in about 24 other states where abortion is pretty much totally legal throughout all nine months of pregnancy. And they found out that in the pro-life states, there are more children being born. They found that the relative to the abortion states, there were 2.3% more births in the pro-life states. That translates to 32,000 children being born who we could say were saved by the strong pro-life laws passed after the Dobbs decision. So why is this study so significant? Well, it's significant because there's been kind of a debate about how impactful the post-Dobbs pro-life laws really are. The other side often claims that, sure, abortions are going down, but that's just because of women going to other states, women going to other countries, women obtaining chemical abortion drugs through the mail. One thing I tell audiences is that abortions are hard to count for those exact reasons. I mean, it's hard to measure out-of-state abortions, hard to measure women obtaining chemical abortion pills through the mail. But I always point out, babies are easy to count. You know, babies run around, they cry, they make a lot of noise. Governments really don't do a lot of things well, but they do count births and they do count children well. So I think a much stronger argument for the impact of pro-life laws is look at births. And if more children being born, again, that's very powerful evidence that pro-life laws are having an impact. They are protecting pre-born children, and they are causing more women to carry pregnancies to term. And again, the fact that you see birth rates going up in states that have enacted strong pro-life laws, again, I think is very powerful evidence that these pro-life laws are saving lives. And this is backed up by other studies. Yes. There's actually two studies on the Texas Heartbeat Act. I was the author of one of them, and there was another study that came out in the Journal of the American Medical Association this past summer. Texas is actually the first state to really enforce a strong pro-life law. Their Heartbeat Act took effect September 1st, 2021. That was actually before the Dobbs decision. So we had some birthday from Texas into 2022, and we saw very powerful evidence looking at births that roughly because of the Heartbeat Act, over a thousand more children being born every month. So there's very strong evidence the Texas Heartbeat Act, like the other pro-life laws, is resulting in more children being born and saving lives. The Centers for Disease Control issued abortion data for 2021, an update on abortion data. What did it show? The CDC came out with abortion data. They came out with the data actually the Wednesday afternoon before Thanksgiving, which is, I think, the worst time to release anything that might be interesting to people. But this data showed that between 2020 and 2021, the number of abortions increased by about 5%. That's obviously not good news for pro-lifers. So it also, it was pretty widespread. I think abortion numbers went up in 34 of the 46 states uh, that reported data in both 2020 and 2021. So you saw a pretty widespread increase. The abortion rate had been falling until recently. What changed? Basically, I think one thing that has happened is that policies pertaining to chemical abortion have become a lot more permissive. During the COVID pandemic, it was possible for women to obtain uh, chemical abortion drugs without an in-person medical exam. Previously, women had to go to medical professional and have an in-person exam before obtaining a chemical abortion drug. Uh, but during the pandemic, that was no longer the case. Making matters worse, the Biden administration's FDA continued this policy uh, post-pandemic. 
So again, I think that made abortion policy much more permissive and I think did play a role in the increase we saw in abortions in 2021. Given that uh, many abortions are generally underreported and in some states, as you point out, unreported, what should we conclude? Like the CDC data could be improved upon that reporting requirements for abortion are pretty weak. California has not reported any data to the CDC since 1997. Maryland and New Hampshire have not reported any data since 2006. So we do have to take the CDC data with a grain of salt. I do think pro-lifers should prioritize strengthening abortion reporting standards. I think that just having better data, uh, I think would benefit everybody. So I think we need to be a little bit cautious, but I still think there's reason for concern. Again, when abortions go up in 34 or 46 states, that's probably pretty good evidence that abortion numbers are, in fact, increasing. You mentioned chemical abortions. If you would go into a little more detail, what role are chemical abortions playing in these numbers? Yeah, we really do see an increase in the fraction of all abortions that are chemical abortions. Between 2020 and 2021, the fraction of all abortions that are chemical abortions went up from 53.6% to 56%. As recently as 2016, less than a third of all abortions or chemical abortions. So there is really good evidence that chemical abortion numbers are rising, and I think that is playing a, a role in the short-term abortion increase that we have seen. State to state. What did you find in the CDC numbers in particular with comparing these things to the reported abortion numbers and pro-life laws? We do see that those states that have enacted strong pro-life policies did see abortion numbers fall. As I mentioned, Texas started enforcing the Heartbeat Act September of 2021. They saw abortion numbers fall by about 6%. So that was a good finding. Also, Missouri, by some reports, the last Planned Parenthood in the state, or the last abortion facility in the state, which is the St. Louis Planned Parenthood, at various points in time, 2021, by some media reports, they were no longer preferring abortions. Missouri had the lowest abortion rate of any state in the country, according to the CDC. So pro-life laws matter, and just closing abortion clinics also is a good policy as well. How could abortion reporting be improved? I think that the CDC could just conduct better oversight. You know, I think that another thing that can be done is that to be eligible for certain kinds of federal funding, states have to report and release abortion numbers. I think that would be a, a pretty good incentive to get better abortion data. Also, you know, in addition to overall numbers, data on the demographics of women obtaining abortions, the gestational age of the unborn children that are aborted, more data on the methods of abortion being used. Some states report this, but some states don't. I think that just more data, more information, I think would benefit everybody in this debate. All said, what are the lessons for the pro-life community for all these issues that we've discussed? You know, essentially, we're this for the long haul. Uh, we did not get the outcome we wanted in Ohio. It's disappointing when data comes out that shows that there's been a recent increase in the number of abortions. But we were never promised a smooth glide path to victory. There's going to be disappointments, aggravations, setbacks along the way. And uh, I think it's just important to remember that, you know, long term, we've made quite a lot of progress. The CDC data said that since 2011, abortions have fallen by 18%. Look at Guttmacher data, we've seen the U.S. abortion rate fall by more than 50% since 1980. If the abortion rate was still was, was at its 1980 peak, there'd be a million more abortions taking place every year. So long term, we've made a lot of progress. You know, we've had disappointments, we've had setbacks. I just think we need to stay the course. We need to maintain our service efforts, educational efforts, political efforts. I think we stay the course. Victory will someday be ours. 
Dr. Michael New is visiting assistant professor of social research and political science at the Catholic University of America, senior associate scholar at the Charlotte Lozier Institute, Paige Comstock Cunningham Fellow with Americans United for Life and a columnist for National Review Online. You can read his columns on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Dr. New, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. The National March for Life is next month, January 18th in Washington, D.C. Lutherans for Life will be hosting several activities during the March for Life in our nation's capital. Find out more at lutheransforlife.org, lutheransforlife.org. When we return, listener email and the issues, etc. comment line, then it's This Week in Pop Christianity with Pastor Chris Roseborough. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season, lutheranpublicradio.org. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's Life Ministry cares for pregnant women sharing the love of Christ. Listen to Pastor Ed DeWitt with Redeeming Life Outreach Ministries. One of the first residents we had said to me, Pastor, why do you do this? And I said, just stick with me through this class. And when we're done, you'll understand completely. Many of the women, as they go through the instruction, when we get to that part about baptism, they're like, Pastor, I want that for my baby. I want my baby to be adopted into God's family. God's mission here, lcms.org slash national mission. Defending life from beginning to end. You're listening to Issues Etc. Teaching your student to read should not be complicated. Memoria Press's phonics uses common sense and the classical approach with their First Start Reading program for the most effective and efficient way to teach your child how to read. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Husband, wife, daughter, son, grandchildren, godchildren, pastor, the kids at church, basically everyone of your Christian loved ones is catered for at Ad Crucem. We are the place to go for all your Christmas purchases. Stock up on our amazing Christmas cards, Christmons, Christmas ornaments, unique Christian jewellery, springly cookie moulds, gifts and much more. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. <laughs> 